Hey, it's Ian Altman. Welcome to another episode of the Same Side Selling Podcast. I am joined by the ever so talented Meredith Elliott Powell. Meredith, welcome once again. Thank you. And uh, I got to say, I am really excited about today's show because we're going to talk about sales conversations and how to make sales conversations productive. I mean, that may sound like a vanilla conversation to people, but it is so important. I always say that a sales call is a privilege because you have just done one of the hardest things in sales. You have gotten through the door. You have gotten somebody to give you something that is so precious to them. That is their time. The last thing you want to do is blow it. The last thing you want to do is waste it for your client or for yourself. So we thought what we would talk about today is how to structure, how to create a really productive sales call, but we're going to do it in kind of a unique way and sort of showing you what an unproductive sales call um, looks like. Now, Ian, I know you have some structure and some thoughts around really what a sales call ought to look like and how it ought to flow. Absolutely. And so this, the structure, and it's something that's in chapter four of Same Side Selling, the book, which is called the Same Side Quadrants. If you get the printed book, it's on page 76. And just for everyone's reference, it's the only page reference I know in the book. It's just people <laughs> often say, well, where's the quadrant? And it took me a while to look it up and finally memorize that you know it's on page 76. Um, but the idea of the Same Side Quadrants is that in a meeting, we in essence take notes using a if you think of it as you take a blank sheet of paper, draw a vertical line down the center, horizontal line across it, creating four equal quadrants on the page. In the upper left quadrant, we take notes about the client's issue, namely, what is it that piqued their interest? In the upper right quadrant, we take notes about their impact and relative importance, meaning what happens if they don't solve it and what's the relative importance. In the lower left quadrant, we take notes about their results, what does success look like going forward? And the lower right quadrant, we take notes about who else needs to be involved, who else is impacted so we get all the right people involved. So that's a structure for what might look like a great meeting. Now what I want to do is I want to focus and we're going to give examples on what may not work out so well. And then we can, then we can show you how to apply the same side quadrants to make it so that that maybe awkward, unproductive meeting turns out a little bit better. I love that. I love that. Well, so, so let me ask you this. Um, when you're working through the quadrants, how do you start? Where do you, where do you begin? Um, and so what are some of the mistakes you see salespeople make right off the bat? Well, so, so one of the mistakes that people make is early on in the process, they start talking about themselves or their products. So it's almost like the phone call would start with, so they get through to somebody and they say, oh, I, I, I wanna tell you about our products and services. Or like, you know, I get these emails all the time that say, oh, I wanna talk to you about our, our software development services. And you should use us for, this, for your same side selling academy and we can be cheaper than anybody else. So the two big mistakes are number one, they talk about themselves. And number two, they lead with, we're cheaper. Yeah. And here's the irony. There isn't an organization on the planet whose goal is to find the cheapest. Most people do not change because something is 5% less than something else. They will change in a heartbeat if they have a serious problem that's impacting their business and they believe that your solution can overcome that problem. And they may not even care what it costs. As yeah. long as the cost is less than what it's costing them to not solve that problem. 
So that first trap is that people lead by talking about themselves. And if you want to give an example of what that might sound like, and keep in mind, Meredith is a talented professional. Don't try this at home. Don't try, don't try and don't try and come up with these bad approaches. I, I don't want you, I don't want you trying to emulate what Meredith is going to demonstrate here because it's just we're purposely trying to illustrate examples of what not to do because it helps us better understand what we should be doing. Well, here's here's going to be my demonstration because I just got one. Um, I just got one this morning, and I call this the bait and switch, where somebody believes they understand not talking about themselves first, so they throw a little salt down there that makes it look like they're not talking about themselves, and then they immediately talk about themselves. I had somebody reach out to me this morning from a learning platform wanting to talk to me about putting my courses on their learning platform, and quote unquote, this was their um, opening. Hello, Meredith, you, po you post very interesting things on um, LinkedIn. I really enjoyed the podcast you did on Thrive and was quite interested in the guests that you had. I can see that you do a lot in the learning field. I would love 15 minutes of your time to talk to us about your, to talk about our learning platform and just to show you how it would work. I think that it would be of great value for you. Now, why that is wrong is there is no bone in my body that believes they have any interest in me at all. What they did was they went to my LinkedIn post, which I'll give them a cookie for that. At least, <laughs> at least they did that. They saw the last thing I did, which was my Thrive podcast. They saw it. They looked at it, got the name of the guest. And I know they did no more than the name of the guest because they didn't tell me anything about her or anything that was in the show. And they just used it as the segue to do what Ian is telling you not to do. Talk about yourself. Yeah. And it's fascinating because if they had merely said, hey, I, I caught you on your Thrive episode. I love the guest, the, uh, you know, this guest that you had on. I especially liked how you talked about this topic. I don't know whether or not our platform would be of use to you. Just because it's helpful for other people, it may not be the right fit for you. Can we spend 15 minutes to determine whether or not it's worth taking a closer look? You might have been receptive to that because then they're using a concept that I talk about called disarming, which is I'm disarming the notion that I'm just there to sell you and that I think that my solution is the answer to everything. I'm acknowledging right. that it's not the right fit for everyone. So I'm saying, look, I help other talented speakers and authors like you, Meredith, but just because we do that doesn't mean it's the right fit for you. Sure, it's generated millions of dollars for them, but you, know, you may not want that tax burden or whatever it happens to be. The idea is that we want to disarm that notion. And then you might have been receptive and then they would have screwed it up, but at least that you might've been receptive initially. Completely. That's a, that, that is a completely non-threatening conversation. It also tells me you went a little bit deeper. I mean, look, salespeople have to make a lot of calls. I have to make a lot of calls. I don't expect you to do a ton of homework uh, um, on me. But when somebody bothers to look at my, you know, my profile, see what I've done, take a little bit of an interest in it, it's attractive. And then don't push, suggest. I mean, in essence, that's how I would describe what you were doing is that the first person was really pushing this on me. It just felt like a bait and switch versus the other is I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to just see where the, where this 
is going and it opens, you know, it, it opens the door so much more. How does your team measure up against others when it comes to being on the same side with your clients or prospects? Find out at samesideselling.com slash scorecard to take the same side selling assessment. And if you want to learn more about the Same Side Selling Academy, visit samesideselling.com. So, so what are some of the other mistakes that you see people make in these conversations with clients? Okay, so this one is huge for me. When you ask, when salespeople ask questions, they should already know the answer to. You know, when there is so much information available um, on on Google, so much information for us to be able to research in our in our customer's annual report. Remember, this isn't just a reach out. You've got the sales conversation. I have had said, yes, I am willing to give you my time. If you are going to spend the first 15 minutes asking me questions that you already should know the answer to, then you told me right from the beginning that you haven't done your homework, you're not prepared, and you're not going to efficiently use the 30 minutes that I've given you. So, Ian, you have any examples of what that might look like? Oh, you know what? A, a ton of them. So oftentimes it comes down. I was I was waiting with bated breath on, on what you were going to share. But but the the example the examples of that often come down to this notion of so uh so so are you guys a software company? <laughs> it's like you don't know that already, or how many employees do you have? Well, you couldn't get that from a quick Google search, or which office are you in? Well, I you couldn't find that from my LinkedIn profile, um, those sorts of things. Or when it's, when it's even worse than that, or it's like someone can look up the size of your business and I get these, I get these emails from people saying, Oh, here's this whole hiring process. It's like, yeah, I used to have a company with offices in 12 countries, but that was 15 years ago. I don't have that anymore. So I don't need a whole process for hiring and onboarding people because you know, I've got a very small team. It's not a it's not a major problem for me. I think that too often people don't do that level of homework up front. Um, the the other thing that 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 just drives me nuts is one of the biggest complaints that people in sales have is my clients are always focused on price. Yeah. And then I listen in on their phone calls and their phone calls will often start with and whether it's a phone call, a meeting in person, whatever. They'll say, oh, we're well, using someone for this service right now, right? Yeah, okay. Well, maybe we could save you a little bit. And what I've just done, and it's usually unintentional, is I've now just told the client that all that really matters is price. Yeah. And then I'm surprised that two conversations later, they say, well, you're too expensive. I want to be less expensive. I'm like, but we have all this value. No, no, you started the conversation about price. So I yeah. must, at this point, you've just attracted people who are focused on price. And now you're complaining that they're focused on price. And you've lowered the conversation um, to yeah. price. I think the only reason a customer ever chooses price is because they believe that price is all there is. Like if I believe that this apple is the exact same as the other apple, then of course I'm going to compare them on price. And of course I'm going to take the cheaper one. I mean, I would be stupid not to do that. 
But if I believe that one apple has more vitamins in it, if one apple will keep me full longer through the, um, you know, longer through the day, if one apple could make me feel younger, have more energy, all of a sudden that value has, that apple has more value. And the fact that it's a quarter or 50 cents more is starting to become irrelevant. And, and this is one of the biggest jobs we have as salespeople. This is the part that cannot be automated, right? I mean, we get in there and we intimately understand the problem and then we can take the the product or service and we can customize it in a value added way to solve that problem. You do that, that takes price off the table. And then when that client pushes back on price and says, well, this is too expensive. If you've done your homework, if you've if you've discussed with them these quadrants, so you've discussed what's their issue and what it is that, that they're trying to solve and what's the impact of not solving that and, and its relative importance. And then the big gap that people fail to talk about in most cases is what does success look like and what could jeopardize that success? We'll get to that in a minute. If I've done all that and the client says, well, gee, I don't know, Meredith, your solution is too expensive. What I might come back with is, look, you mentioned that you have this problem. It's costing you $20 million a year in lost business. And you mentioned that this is what we're going to measure for success going forward. And the only way that I can achieve those results is at this price point. Now, if you think that we can scale back the results, if you think solving this completely isn't worth it, then maybe we can come up with a different solution that would cost less. What do you think? And then the client, now what you're doing is you're comparing their problem and results to price. And you're saying the only way to, to get a lower price is to get lower results. Is that what you're looking for? And now we're having a discussion about value, not about just price. Absolutely. You are selling the solution. You have got to remember you are selling the solution. It is such a myth that customers, I don't care the industry you're in, they're not price sensitive. If you're losing on price, it's because price is all you sold. Yeah. And I think that in most in most salespeople's minds, the finish line is the sale, is the contract, is, you know, that's more high-fiving and celebrating. And the reality is that for the client, the finish line is the results. Yeah. So if we're focused on the sale and they're focused on the results, we have a mismatch. We're not yeah. aligned. But if instead I say to them, okay, that's great. Well, what are we going to measure six months down the road to, to, to know that we're successful? What do you think would really be able to quantify? And the client will usually step back and like, you know, hmm. Let me think about that. I don't know, because no one's asked that question before. And they say, well, I think if we could if we could cut our time to market, if we could gain more market share, how much market share realistically, if we did this, do you think it'd capture? Well, it could be 10 or 20 percent, 10 or 20 percent. And how big is your business? Now? I mean, how much would that be? Let them tell you what the numbers are. And they go, oh, it could be, you know, 20 million dollars a quarter. OK. Even if we did everything we said we would do. What might prevent you from getting those results? And now the client says, oh, well, maybe if our people weren't trained enough on how to use whatever it is that you're doing, great. So should we include training in our proposal? Oh yeah, that's a good idea. And now they're building what they need based on the results they're looking for. And when I do this with with organizations, and, and there's an exercise I do with CEOs where I say, okay, so you've gone through this process and one vendor is focused on the sale and another vendor is focused on 
how they're gonna measure results with you. Which vendor would you, have to, would you rather deal with? 100% of the time, they wanna deal with the person focused on results. Then I say, well, so how many of you would be willing to pay more for that vendor? And all of them raise their hands and say they, they'd be willing to pay more for that vendor. And I say, how much? The most common answer is 10 to 20%. And I don't mean the most common answer is a number between there. I mean, the most common answer is they say, I don't know, 10 to 20%. That's right. the most common answer. And what I want people to understand is that I'm not saying that that vendor is guaranteeing those results. The mere fact that they are asking about the results makes the client, these executives, inclined to pay 20 to 10 to 20% more for the solution. Yeah. That's yeah. a big trap that people need to make sure that they, that they avoid, which is if you're not talking about results, you're missing the boat. Completely. You're, you are wasting the, um, you're just wasting the sales, the sales conversation, you know, Ian, and in another one that really drives me, um, uh, crazy is when you finish the sales conversation and you, you say to the customer, you know, I'll get back to you. You know, I just need to work on some things. How about I get back to you on Tuesday at four o'clock and the customer says, um, Tuesday's not good for me. Just let me get back to you. And the sales professional accepts that and leaves the sales conversation. The reason this makes me crazy is, again, you have done the hard work. You got in the door. In my opinion, that is the hardest thing to do in sales. Once you can get in there, you have structured this conversation beautifully. You have done your homework. You have asked the right questions. You have gotten them to a point where they, um, you know, they want to buy, or at least they're peaked to have another conversation with you and you let it slip out of your hands. You gave away control of that conversation. And Meredith, so how should people handle that when the client says, the client says to them, well, you know what? Tuesday at four is not good for me. I'll just get back to you. Yeah, I always say, Ian, you know what? You have a lot on your plate. I know you have a lot going on. Please don't worry about that. I'll follow up. I'll make I'll make sure that um, and I'll take responsibility to make sure that we have um, we have another call. So don't you worry about it. I'm going to handle it. I just okay. take control and they sure. need to just take control of it. Do not give that piece away, because in my opinion, it's like dating. If I'd have waited for somebody to call me, I never would have gotten married. I had to take control of that situation. Well, there's there's a lef lesson, too. That'll be the same side dating podcast. It'll be premiering in June 2027. Um, make sure we address it then. So and and what I, what I want people to think about is you could even say, well, if Tuesday at four isn't good, I want to make sure that I follow up. If this is still important to you, what's yeah. a convenient time? Let's put that on the calendar and recognize that you might be in a situation where the client isn't that interested. And through this discussion, they determine they don't want to take the next step. And trust me, you're better off finding that out right now than, than trying to chase them for two months and annoying them. So if they say, well, I'll get back to you, what you could say is, you know, Meredith, I understand that it's, it sounds like, I know you said Tuesday at four wasn't good, and then you want to get back to us. Sometimes when people say that, it's because they're just not that interested, but they don't have the heart to tell us. In other cases, it's just not that big of a priority. In other cases, it's, hey, this is really a big, important thing, and we like your solution. I just can't think of the scheduling time. Which situation are we in right now? So I'm giving them two ways to get out. 
and one way to confirm an appointment. And it's totally okay because if they say, you know what, Meredith, I'm really just not interested in this solution, then you can say, what, what was it about our, about our stuff that didn't appeal to you? And now yeah. you get more information from it. I don't know how you feel about that approach. I, I, I do. I love that. I mean, I love the fact that you said you're better finding out now because, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with the sales conversation, but I think it's an important lesson for salespeople to learn is you only have time to chase so much business. And I think one of the biggest mistakes we make as salespeople, because we get so high on the win. You know, I want to win. I want to convince you to do business for me. You're giving me a little bit of pushback. I want to I want to get you to agree to do business with me. And it's the biggest mistake I ever made. The moment I say yes to one client, I'm saying no to 10 others. And the and and I just love what you're saying is find out now if this isn't yeah. good, don't continue to pursue it because there's so many other sales conversations out there you can be having with people who are ready to pull the trigger, people are ready to pay your price and people are ready to refer you business. Exactly. Well, let me let me give an attempt here to give a 30-second recap of the key points that I think people can use and apply to their business right now and then I'll give you opportunity for rebuttal because Undoubtedly, there's always something I leave out. So the first thing is we want to make sure that we're not focused on ourselves and talking about us, but instead talking about the client situation. And don't use that bait and switch where you make it sound like you, you want to talk about the client, but you really want to talk about yourself. The second thing is that don't get into the trap where you're the one bringing up price and price being the most important thing by saying, oh, maybe I can save you money or how much are you spending now? Maybe I can save you, maybe I can save you dollars. That's not going to help either. We want to make sure instead we follow a structured process around these same side quadrants of issue in the upper left, impact and importance in the upper right, and the lower left results, and the lower right, others impacted or others involved. And that way, we have a structure around our meeting, so we're focused on the things that matter to them. And we always want to make sure we're having that meaningful discussion about the results that people are seeking out, because their finish line is results. It's not the sale. And Meredith, I'm going to leave it to you to focus on that next step piece and anything else I left out. Well, I think you did. I think you did a great job of um, of wrapping it up. I think the the one thing that I want to add is you really need to go to what page is it? 76, 74. <laughs> page 76. You got it. I got it. I thought I did. And look at those four quadrants. I mean, you know, what we've been talking about today loosely is in essence the structure, and I think that's the underlying foundational piece. Is you need a structure. To your sales conversation. Don't waste it. It's critical. You know, it isn't necessarily about the quantity of sales conversations you have. It's about the quality of sales conversations you have. Respect it for your client, respect it for yourself, use a structure and watch as not only more deals close, but more clients are satisfied and more referrals and more opportunities happen. Fantastic. So if you want to connect with either me or Meredith, you can connect to Ian Altman or Meredith Elliott Powell on LinkedIn. We're easy to find there. Just mention the podcast, and that's a pretty much surefire way that we'll accept that connection. We might get one or two additional connection requests each day, and it's always nice, nice to know where they came from. And then, of course, you can learn more about what each, each of us does. Visit valuespeaker.com for information on Meredith and samesideselling.com for information on me. This has been Ian Altman and Meredith Elliott Powell, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Same Side Selling Podcast. Bye now.